Welcome to Your Future Today with your hosts, Mark Washington and Scott Burmaster. All right. Welcome back, Mark. How you been? Been doing pretty well, Scott. Um, you know, I, today was the day that uh, Michael Cohen's testimony came out. And I know today we're going to talk a little bit about the political landscape for 2020. But I got to tell you, man, it was a uh, pretty, uh, you know, mind blowing. Yeah, I, I, I had a little trouble getting work done today, to tell you the truth. I was uh, I was actually had my it streaming on my phone with my earbuds in on the way to work. I wasn't watching it, but I had it, you know, audio uh, going. So it was definitely like a pretty crazy thing going on today. So very, uh, very game changer. Probably the first of a lot of dominoes to fall, but maybe that'll be a a podcast for a different day. But we're we're all about the future, Mark, you know. That's right. Not about. Well, 2020 is the future. 2020 is the future. Actually, it's right around the corner, and it's important that uh, we get that discussion, you know, out there in terms of, uh, you know, what's what is it going to look like? I mean, I don't want to see Trump in office another four years, and uh, I mean, you can share where you stand, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I think uh, what we're going to talk about in a moment or later in this podcast uh, is going to directly relate to. Uh, you know, the, uh, our voters, you know, yeah. out there who are, uh, looking at what, what are the candidates that they want to, uh, want to see. Move yeah. Forward. Yeah. No, I'm, a, I'm obviously of the same sentiment as you, you know, not, a, not a fan of Trump at all. Obviously a lot of lies to see corruption going on there. You know, naturally there's going to be some percentage of people out there that still, uh, are backing him for whatever reasons they have. But that that percentage is uh, diminishing, you know, o- yeah. over over the past two plus years now. So, uh, you know, and then obviously the candidates that we're talking about, one of them is going to be Andrew Yang. That that's the the one that I want to talk about. That's the one you want to talk about. He's the most interesting uh, for many reasons. I don't know if you want to get into that now or talk a little bit about how how we kind of got to this point in general. I do. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, but before we do, I wanted to open up the floor and really, uh, you know, have a, a little, you know, about Scott Burmaster. Oh, all right. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about you and uh, if you can share a little bit for our audience, you know, what, what kind of got you into technology and, um, you know, share a little bit about your interest and, I think that'll be helpful. Well, podcast number three, a little meet and greet. I love it, Mark. Thanks. Um, Well, yeah, no, I grew up in the 80s, as you know, Mark. So did you. We grew up with, you know, the first household computers. And once I uh, was... Weird science movies. You know, once I figured out how to use a screwdriver, I started taking them apart and poking around and building them back together and things like that. So that was always interesting. Kind of when you're a kid, you don't have like that, that fear of like breaking stuff. You know, so yeah. you kind of just get in there and unplug stuff, plug them back in, move around, see what works. So the hardware was cool, but 
obviously you, at the end of the day you want to figure out how that impacts the software so that was probably my first introduction just kind of messing around with computers and obviously every couple of years we would get a new computer right so yep. technology advances you get those uh what well, i think they had like four megabyte hard drives back then in the 90s yeah. or something um so that was uh that was fun you know you get your winamp and all that stuff but you know at the end of the day just kind of putzing around with the software and and just kind of trying to break stuff, essentially. Is that kind of how you felt growing up too? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, I remember my uncle was working at IBM at the time, and this is back in, in Maryland. And uh, uh, during the week, he lived probably about 30 minutes away, but I was monkeying around the computer almost on a weekly basis, breaking something or getting a virus on there. And then my, my folks would have to call and then my uncle would be all pissed off. He'd drive over. Hmm. On a weeknight, you know, I'll spend at least an hour in the car, you know, both ways and then get there and fix it and turn around and go home. It's just, yeah. So, yeah, always tinkering. So that always about tech. That was the introduction. So I feel like we have the same kind of entry into, into computers and fascination. And it was pretty obvious, even at a young age, that that was going to be the future. You know, I remember, you know, a little story. My, my dad, he uh, is a you know, very successful dentist at the time when I was pretty young. Uh, but he like still used a typewriter, you know what I mean? And he was like the, you know, hunt and peck, hunt and peck. So I was like, well, how come you can't, <laughs> how come you can't type dad? And he's like, yeah. cause you know, but when I was growing up, typing was, uh, you know, a secretary, like a job for women, you know, obviously he's a lot older. So times are different back then. But, uh, and I was just like, Oh, it's so strange, you know, cause that was all about like Mavis speaking and trying to type as fast as possible. Right. And so, you know, you combine that with like seeing how fast computers were evolving even back then and knowing that the Internet was just like forming and taking hold and people were trying new things out there. You know, it was pretty obvious that tech was the future. Right. Obviously, nobody knew that like smartphones were going to exist and stuff like that. But as far as like where you want to you know, invest your time and future and a potential career, I mean, that's kind of where where I knew I wanted to head. Oh, totally. Yeah. When you're talking about your dad, you know, thinking about the Homer Simpson uh, episode <laughs> or whatever, where he has the little, you know, thing pecking the keyboard. <laughs> you almost like, uh, what is it? Check core temperature. I'm looking at the meme right now. Yeah. <laughs> where he's, he like goes and goofs off at work and just has the thing, um, you know, basically about to melt down a nuclear, you know, reactor. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's uh, I was t- I actually typed like that growing up. Right? I didn't learn to type until I went to grade school, but um, I know we, yeah, we're just kind of thrown into it. Uh, cool. So yeah, yeah. um, and then you, you know, oh. as in, in adulthood, you know, got into the tech world. Finally, in my kind of late twenties, as far as software sales go, and that's obviously where where you and I met, uh, selling property management software. And made a career out of that. And you see a lot of changes happen in that industry when you're kind of in the forefront and the thick of it. And so, you know, you realize you're you're pushing automation automation day after day after day after day. And, you know, depending on how that's leveraged, that could result in things like job loss or could result in things like, you know, greater focus on customer service. It all depends on, you know, who who holds the power of the, the automation, right? So yeah. it's, uh, you know, the, the age old adage uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And that kind of brings us full circle to 
you know, where we're at with our society, right? Would you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I guess, but help me understand or help our audience understand. How did you uh, find <clears throat> out about Andrew Yang? Yeah, no, great, great question. So Andrew Yang, if uh, for those people who don't know, for those one or two people who might have might be listening to our podcast, um, <laughs> he's uh, now a presidential candidate, right? He, I first got introduced to him probably over a year ago when he first got onto Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up, uh, and you know, I thought it was very interesting what he was saying about UBI because I'd heard about UBI, I'd looked into it a little bit. Not not a very popular uh, topic as far as taking hold in the political realm or business realm. Maybe some guys like Elon Musk were talking about it and things like that. Yeah. But as far as like politically, is almost like a taboo kind of topic. Like it would never work too close to socialism for the most mainstream American, right? Um, yeah. But after that, he really broke it down with the numbers, the facts, the trends over time, how fast technology is changing and where we're headed and how the, the changes were, you know, as far as milestones are, are decreasing in time, right? So we need to be more agile, more prepared, and we can't be reactive. We need to be proactive, right? And he backs us all up with numbers. So that really piqued my interest. So about a week later, I'm stewing on it. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and buy his book. I bought his audio book, War on Normal People. And, you know, read it, took a bunch of notes because I found it very important. And then, you know, beyond that, the reason why I took notes is because I want to be able to have conversations like this, have conversations with my friends. I've got a lot of friends that are liberals, you know, libertarians, a lot of Republican friends, right? So I want to yeah. be able to have these kind of thoughtful conversations and be able to, you know, potentially change people's mind and get them to open up, not just about like, oh, I make, I make a lot of money now. I kind of want to, you know, you know, have uh, the biggest tax break as possible, right? It's, yeah. it's, something about, it's about something bigger than that, right? You know, especially you know, as we start to have get married and have families and have kids, you know, it's it's no longer about you know how much cash we can stuff in our pockets. About you know l looking forward to the future generations, right? And so yeah. it's hard for I feel like it's hard to do as a, like a guy in your twenties who's single, right? But you know, as as you start to grow up, uh, these things become a little bit more real. So focusing on that. And realizing who out there in the world is talking about and actually taking action on these initiatives uh, becomes a lot more appealing, right? And so that's kind of my my introduction to Andrew Yang. And then, you know, he had he had already announced his presidential candidacy race uh, back then, over a year ago. Uh, but recently, as of a couple weeks ago, he got onto Joe Rogan's podcast, and you know, Joe Rogan's got one of the largest media platforms you know in america slash the world right now you know with you know what <laughs> at least 4.5 million viewers pretty much per episode right so it's crazy so besides that i've been following on andrew yang on social media and, it, and his website and that really kind of launched him into a lot more of the the public sphere yeah so and and I told you about it. I don't I don't remember how long ago I told you about Andrew Yang in general. How long ago was that? Do you remember? Uh, probably about it had to be a good six months ago. Yeah. You know, I, I just I, I didn't really take him seriously, mm. and he even 
you know, has a little self-deprecating humor, you know, when he's on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, you know, just referring to the fact that, um, you know, nobody kind of knew about him until, uh, you know, he's now on Joe Rogan and, and he's, he uh, recently re- recorded a segment on The Daily Show. So he, he's actually getting out there and becoming more known. Um, even mentioned, made mention of the fact that you, know, you can't even, you know, join these, uh, you know, the Democratic uh, what caucuses and things of that nature until uh, you represent a, a certain uh, percentage point. I can't remember of the, uh, uh, you know, potential nomination. Do you recall what that was? And it was like, was it like 3% uh, of the uh, potential Voters. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, I mean, it, it yeah. shows on his website that, you know, he's about halfway to the goal uh, of individual donors to make it to the uh, debates that are coming up in a couple months here, the first round of Democratic debates, right? So he's at nice. about just shy of 35,000 individual contributors, and you need $65,000 to kind of, or it's not dollars, I mean, 65000 thousands separate individual donations to kind of check that box to qualify right uh so it seems like he's on track to make it with this big kind of swell and then word will naturally spread on the on the social medias and friends of friends and just conversations like we're having today right but as far as you know why he is interesting and intriguing you know normally i you know, a guy who's like pulling at 1% or something like that, it's kind of like, well, why, why even waste the breath, right? Why even, you know, why, why not focus on someone like Bernie Sanders or you know, Kamala Harris or something like that that's like a little bit more well-known, a little more household name, right? But it's, it's interesting because he is uh, a lot more center. You know, I would imagine if it was a perfect world for him, he'd probably run as an independent or something like that. Right. So a lot of his policies actually appeal to both sides of of the aisle, so to speak. And and I'm and I'm part of his Facebook little following or whatever now. And, and it's amazing how many people on there are, you know, conservatives who are you know self-proclaiming. I'm conservative. You know, I really like this about his about his position is about humanity first or, you know, he won me over on Joe Rogan with the thousand dollars a month and backing it up with numbers and staying, you know, keeping the emotions out of it, keeping the traditional politics out of it and really just focusing on, you know, the reality of the situation that automation is coming. AI is going to amplify that. And, you know, robotics have already been taking jobs for a long time now, and that's only going to get more and more efficient. And, you know, you know, we need to, be proactive about the job loss that's that's happening and and he presents a an actual plan and talks about it very thoroughly and concisely uh on how he's going to execute it and it's and it's very attractive because it's a total change of a pace of what we've been experiencing over the past couple of years yeah no I, i i liked uh like you mentioned, he backed everything he, you know, uh, was standing for or his platform up with metrics, right? Uh, which are all publicly available, you know, that, you know, for example, you know, the UBI, which he calls the Freedom Dividend. Love it. Catchy name. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Uh, he backs it up by saying, hey, listen, we already have, there's a 1.8 trillion that's going towards these entitlement programs and the welfare and things like that. You know, Medicare. Um, and so he says, hey, what if 
basically we're not giving people more than what they're already getting today, right? But what we're doing is saying, hey, listen, we're going to give you the ability to make sure that you still can provide for your family. You still could have food on the table. Um, you still, you know, you don't have that weight on you uh, when you're kind of deciding, hey, should I go and, and maybe look into some vocational training? But wait, I can't because I'm working a 40 hour you know, minimum wage job and I need to provide for my family. You're saying, listen, we're going to make sure everybody has some type of, again, income um, so that they can, you know, maybe take the weight off that, of that risk aversion and, and maybe go and, and, and better themselves and maybe go in and be a little bit more entrepreneurial. And at the end of the day, what if they don't? Well, they're still going to take their money and invest it back into the economy, right? So this still is going to be an economic you know, generator, which again, is going to create jobs because they're buying things and investing in the economy. We need people that are going to service that. And then uh, that is taxable. So we're still, it's gonna be this one, you know, kind of engine that keeps feeding itself. Uh, so, you know, I get it. I, I get, you know, the opponents of it that could say, oh, you know, it's, we're giving away free money, but I don't see it that way. These are, you know, and, and, I, and I hate to go negative, but yeah, for a little bit, I do need to go negative and say, hey, the people that are already kind of weighing on the economy or, or you know, taking advantage of the, you know, welfare or entitlement programs, they're going to be there anyway. <laughs> so yeah. We're, we're, we're not giving more than what they're yeah. already taking, uh, but we're giving the ability for them to reinvest that right back. Into yeah, 100% market reinvestment back into the economy, reinvestment back into themselves, into their health, into their education, into their children's education. It's, it's really that trickle up effect that he, he talks about, right? And some, some key facts to point out that I got from the book, right? One, that 83% of the jobs under $20 an hour or lower will be subject to automation and replacement, right? Uh, and then you combine that with 68% of, of the population that doesn't have a college degree, right? Which is what most jobs like we have or startups require. So, and when you look at that, and when I say 83% of the jobs, $20, $20 an hour or lower, are going to be subject to automation, that's over probably like the next 10, 11 years, right? What he shared on Joe Rogan's podcast with like all of these studies, independent studies are projecting like that 2030 marker of when there's going to be likely massive automation of these truck driving jobs, these retail jobs, uh, you know, call center type of jobs, you know. So, so that it's like you said, it's not going to just happen on 2030, like boom, everything's gone. It's going to be a gradual bleed over time, right? And we have to help mitigate this and alleviate the pressure on these families all across America, right? And he made a great point. Like he, he started Venture for America, this noble uh, company to help bring jobs back to, you know, cities like Detroit and Cleveland and Birmingham, Alabama and stuff like that. And he did a good job of it, you know, created like, you know, 3000 plus jobs with these, with these startup companies. But he was saying like for every job he created, like 15 would, would be automated out. Right. And he was just like, it was like filling water in a, in a, in a bathtub with a hole in it. Right. And he's like, the only way I can do this and solve this problem with any lasting change is, is become is federally and become the president. Right. And he's like, he's like, 
and I, I'm the only one talking about this, so like I, I got to do it. So he's like, if somebody else is talking about it, great, I just back them, but nobody else is doing it is the thing. And this is what really caught my attention. It's like, it's all about, you know, I've always had this kind of thing growing up in, in like high school where like, you know, you're, you're sitting in class and, and you got the answer, but you're, you're too shy or you just don't want to be called on. And then like, you know, the answer, but it's just it's sitting in your head. And then, then somebody else like either gets it wrong and then it drags on or like they get it right and you move on or whatever. But it's like, it's, it's this, this weird feeling of like, you know, you, you just got to take the action, get it right and do it as quickly as possible. Otherwise things are just going to like drag on. Right. I don't know if you've ever, ever been like that, but I was a little shy in high school, Mark. If yeah. you can, couldn't tell. <laughs> couldn't tell, Scott. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, it was interesting to even hear you know, other questions around his platform, particularly, uh, you know, how is he going to deal with mm. foreign affairs, uh, relations with Russia? You know, and I, and I really like, um, you know, obviously, you know, I'd love for our audience to go and listen to it from the original source, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, shout out to Joe Rogan. Uh, but, uh, you know, just a quick, uh, you know, question that Joe asked was, hey, you know, what if, what would you say to Russia, you know, if they were meddling in the election? He said, hey, listen, I tell Russia, hey, we've got, you know, we have the facts. Um, you guys are, are doing this. You, you got to stop. If you don't stop, I'm, I'm taking it to the American people. We're going to decide. We're going to hurt you. We're going to do something, you know, back to you, just as bad, if not worse, than what you're doing to us. And you know, make sure that this is a, you know, this doesn't go um, un. Yeah. Without no, I agree. Come down on like a ton of bricks. So, I like the balls. I like the cojones. I like the aggressiveness. Right. It's been it's been too much. Yeah. Letting Putin, who's a total mobster, you know, put push not only Americans around, but, you know, the British, Europe, right? He's, he's you know, and, and even the Russian citizens, right? It's not, it's not their fault. Like, obviously, if they were like a normal dis- democracy, this would be a totally different conversation, but it's not, right? It's, it's, a, it's a mob rule over there, and it's bleeding into our, our, our minds because of social media, right? And there's no, you know, we're building the border in the wrong place, if you know what I mean. We need better... We need firewalls, not freaking real walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is another thing, too. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely you know, support uh, what Andrew was trying to get across. Is that, hey, I would take a strong stance on Russia, uh, which, you know, our president today had said during his campaign that he would do, and, and now he's like, super buddy buddy with them but uh <laughs> um yeah I, I guess what else did you hear from from uh you know andrew yang's platform that you know stood out to you yeah well i mean the the whole human capitalism thing is the, is the end game like joe had mentioned he's like okay like a you know a thousand dollars a month that's great but if the trucker actually loses his job like that's not actually going to do a whole lot right and you know andrew has agreed absolutely right so you know because the end game is like shifting the way we measure uh success of a nation right and right now we measure success of the nation through gdp right which is uh you know straight economic financial right created uh, a measurement created 
during the Great Depression, right? And even economists back then yep. did not think that this was the healthiest way to measure the success of a nation. And, but that's the model we have, right? It's like 100 years later. It's like, okay, what's going on? Time to change. This is not measuring, uh, you know, how the stay-at-home mothers or fathers are contributing with child raising and educate and educating you know the the next generations of people it doesn't doesn't measure any of that it doesn't measure how healthy i am or you are or san francisco is compared to uh you know birmingham alabama right there's no there's no way to quantify that no, and like like you said you know if and like you run any business right you you are what you measure so it's all about metrics, and we live in a data-heavy, data-rich uh, environment now. So we have a lot of these metrics. It's it's just like where, where are we putting the lens, right? Where are we putting the focus? So if you start adding these, it's not saying like, hey, we probably we definitely shouldn't measure, you know, economically how we're performing. No, of course we should, but we should also add in all these other things and create a more healthy type of pie chart to assess the overall well-being of a nation right education safety crime yeah. rate you know all the all these things right it's a it's they're all important variables that need to be taken into account and i think that's that's the end game right but but one other thing i picked up on that i that i didn't even i don't think i remembered from the book or maybe i just missed it you know he said he said about the uh what was it he was trying to paint a picture of Hope, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look it up in my notes, Mark. But you know, is there anything else that that stood out to you from that podcast? Those are my biggest uh, takeaways. You know, UBI, uh, international uh, relationships. Uh, I, you know, definitely want to explore more. Um, Andrew Yang is a. I think he's going to be a phenomenal candidate, uh, but. We know that the uh, stratosphere, so to speak, is getting crowded with a lot of different candidates. So uh, I saw a, a number the other day that there's over 15. Um, so I want to go through and kind of read all the various platforms and um, you know make sure that uh, maybe that's something that we can bring up to to our uh, next uh, conversation. Uh, maybe I take on a couple, mm -hmm. or you take on a few, and we just kind of. Um, can share because there's so many out there that I don't even believe anybody has taken the time to go through all 15 or, or more. <laughs> so uh, that's something that maybe we can provide as a helpful, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's good. You know, I, th I think it's good. We can focus on that. I think it would be good to pick that one up back back up after the first debate that ha that's happening. I think it's in June. Right, because that one, then we'll know. Absolutely. Like the field yeah. will narrow a little bit. We know who's made, made it at least to the debates, and we can kind of do an assessment after that uh, first debate. There, I, you know, I'm really hoping Andrew makes it because you know he he uh, trained as a you know high school and collegiate uh, debater, right? So uh, I don't know if you no. knew that little little known fact about him. So it's that. I mean, that's probably why one of the reasons why he's so good at numbers, and that's probably why he's so well spoken. Uh, just with his rhetoric in general, but I, I have a feeling once he gets on there, you know, these these wishy-washy, dodgy answers that we're so used to hearing from politicians, you know, he's just going to, you know, destroy, you know, most of them, right? 
and then the ones left standing, yeah. you know, if he if he outperforms them, maybe they'll they'll get to be one of his or his VP or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's yeah, my, that's no, my totally. that's my dream. I'm, I'm, I'm all in too, on Andrew but... Yang, man. This guy is awesome. Yeah, and I'm gonna give him a you donation. I mean, he. Uh, I gotta tell you, he made the website super easy for mm-hmm. like us. <laughs> it's like big button. Yeah. <laughs> super big button twenty dollars fifty dollars a hundred bucks uh and so i can't help but just hit the big button in front of me and uh, make sure that uh, i do my yeah, part make sure he's there for the first debate it's actually saying that they're they have space for up to 20 candidates uh for the initial or primary debate in june so uh it will be interesting to and i think uh, a value add to maybe chat about it after they, uh, you know, have that debate and can kind of weed out. Yeah, and it is pretty amazing how important Iowa and New Hampshire are. I guess I hadn't really paid attention in the past elections on, you know, the importance of those states. Obviously, those are the first two states to to vote, which, you know, has heavy influence on the rest of people's minds and things like that. But, um, you know, he was saying, he's broke down the numbers. He's like, even with 1% popularity now, I still have a good chance because you really only need to get like 3% of the the vote to kind of make it to this, at least to this debate mm-hmm. round, right? So he's like, if I can get, uh, you know, 40, 50,000 people to believe that $1,000 a month is going to be helpful for them and their families and their loved ones in just Iowa, uh, then that that will likely be enough as far as the numbers go, because only what 180,000 people in Iowa turned out for these, uh, you know, early primaries type of votes uh, in the last election. They're projecting like 250,000 this time, so that was a math he was going off of. But it's uh, it's definitely makes it a lot more believable, right? This is why you know we're we're talking yeah. about it. We're not just talking about some some yokel trying to you know preach from his soapbox in the in a you know town center or something like that the guy ran the numbers he has a plan he believes he can do it and he's reaching a lot of people not just in a narrow spectrum right it's it's liberals it's conservatives it's people who haven't voted in years it's it's you know a lot of young people too right so and i I think there's a lot that i just i just really want to see him in the debates man i think it's going to be awesome when he gets there Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going to tweet him too. I'm going to see if he responds to me. Yeah, I'm telling you, you should join. Uh, you should join. Are, you, are, you, are you on Facebook? If you are, then I would recommend joining his little uh, following fan page group because there's a lot of action out there. A lot of people from all walks of life talking about what they're excited about and how they how they got to this point, right? Because it's everyone got to this point from a different path, so it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, now I'm not on Facebook. That's fine. Um, I'll keep you posted. I, <laughs> you keep me posted, uh, and I do have a Twitter, so I will use that. It would be fantastic if he uh, joined us, the little people. <laughs> on yeah, no. Wow. Can yeah, no, that, that would be cool. Jeez, wow. Andrew Yang. I think so we I missed the boat on that. If we would have got him before Joe Rogan, that could have been a ama- uh, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you never know, man. You never know. I mean, he's focused on 
uh, you know, the, the little people needs to focus on, uh, you know, our generation, which is what we uh, represent 83 million uh, in the population, millennials um, versus baby boomers being in the 78 million, I believe, yeah. is, uh, boomers. Uh, so we are the larger generation and, you know, we've got a, we've got an audience. This is like my worst sales pitch ever, but Andrew Yang, uh, if we get the, I'm going to tweet you this podcast. And if you want to join us, we'd love to have you. I'd love to, uh, give you the platform to, uh, share a little bit more of your ideals and, you know, obviously the, um, give you a chance to reach our audience. Yeah. So, um, that would be awesome with that. With that said, Scott, um, really great um, chatting uh, around Andrew Grant Yang. Thank you for sharing more of your background and interest in the future uh, today. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, putting some notes together here and uh, you know putting together our uh, topics for next. Uh, next Love month. it, Mark. Thanks so much. And yeah, if you if you like us, rate us, and uh, if you don't, rate us anyways. <laughs> <laughs> right. Rate right us anyway. Hey, you know what? Um, this is kind of our entrepreneurial bit, right? We are gonna, you know, make this podcast a uh a project that, you know, we're gonna improve upon. It's gonna get much better with time and I'm looking forward to it. So Scott, you enjoy the rest of your evening and uh bye. Thanks so much, Mark. Audience. You too. Take care.